Hello, this is Jay Dallas Binion with Tales from a Concert Junkie, and I'm talking here with Immortal Technique. I just uh, saw you last night in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, how you doing, Tim? Not too bad. How are you today, sir? I'm alright. I'd like to say thank you very much for uh, taking your time out of your day for a small guy like me. I just started this, and I'm trying to see what happens with it. There are no small outlets. True. I was going to say... Uh, you're slated to play Red Rocks Amphitheater on Halloween with Wu-Tang and Jedi Mind Tricks. Yes, sir. You had played there previously at uh, with Nas, correct? Yeah, I played there with Nas, and then I also played there with uh, Rock the Bells and uh, Tribe Called Quest and Pharrell Monch, just a series of other people that were on the tour. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that venue? I, I have yet to go there. I It's on my bucket list for concert venues. Right. I liked it when I was there. I mean, I think there's a big difference in between having an incredibly large venue and a small one that I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, yesterday's show was a lot more personal. Um, you can meet a lot more people personally and have a conversation with them. I think that's slightly harder to do when you're outside of a gigantic venue where you know you're rapping to, let's say, five, six thousand people. You do reach more people, so to speak, but you reach them in a less personal way than yesterday. Which right. Which is why I still like doing those small clubs because I feel like you get to really understand what people like. It's, you know? it's more... I, think I understand from, from an incredibly famous person's perspective why they would do that. You know, most people don't like to be challenged. They feel like as an artist they're 100% on everything and, you know, their mental stability is basically entrenched around no one giving them any pushback. And my stability is based on the fact that I'm stable. And that if you push me, I'm still going to be stable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if people want to ask me questions about my music, then they just wait to the end and they ask me a question or take a picture. And uh, I also get invaluable amounts of research about what people like, uh, what they're feeling coming into the record. So I know as we basically finish wrapping up everything, we have like a song or two to go that... The entire thing is pretty much finished, and I'm capable of saying, well, now what's going to create the best show going forward? Obviously, you know, if we did a tour with uh, someone else on the bill, or if we did it once the record was released, you know, we'd have to probably be in a bigger venue, we'd have a lot more time to promote, you know, it wouldn't have been the three weeks that we had for this, like, fly-by-night, where the Facebook ads came up, like, two and a half, two weeks ago, or whatever it may be, it would be a much more a concentric campaign. Um, and it might even be more dates, you know. I'm sitting here on 34 days. You know, I remember doing the Warp Tour and being able to do 50 days. Right. Like, people forget, man, uh, me and Ill, me and Ill Bill Nonfiction, we did a mini tour with Biohazard. I mean, I've done, I've done shows with just about everybody. So I've, I've always gotten love from whether it's punk rock, metal crowd, Hip hop, um, you know. I, I did a, a show the other day uh, in upstate New York, a, a festival with my old friends, the Whalers, who you know brought me out on stage and we did a remix of Exodus. So it was wow. I, I really do vibe well with people because I always remember to show those individuals that came before me their respect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, my father told me when I was young that you should never grow so tall that you forget whose shoulders you're standing on. And I'm standing on a lot of people's shoulders, sir, that paved the way for me. So I, I definitely show them their 
I uh, I have to say I'm kind of more of a fan of smaller venues myself as well. I like amphitheaters every once in a while, but it's that intimate feeling that you were speaking of that, yes, you can go up and just talk to people and be like be a person and it it doesn't have the giant divide between you that you're not able to just go talk with somebody you know like it it's not a rush of security stopping you and it, i mean it, it it's nothing that's that's worrisome you know what i mean Oh, you can you can swear. Charge people 
I advocate against uh, a lot of people going to Ticketmaster shows because of the astronomical fees that they charge for absolutely no reason. Right. Like, I, I've, I've, it's, it's, really, it's, it's price gouging. And oh, it is. independent artists money for merchandise, for hard-working shirts that they did themselves, it's embezzlement. And the, they're only doing it because, you know, there, there isn't enough pushback from artists and from agents. I'm going to tell you honestly, sir, when I was with, uh, when I was with UTA, when I was with the agency, when I was with Paradigm, mm-hmm. uh, constantly there would be a push-pull between me and my agent. They would call me, they would say, hey, Technique, I got a complaint from this amphitheater or from this uh, Glen Helen, wherever the fuck pavilion, and they said that you and your team blasted your way out of there like the Millennium Falcon. And I said, yeah, because we're not paying that. You know what I mean? Like, We're not sitting there to sell your shit. What the hell am I going to give these people money if, if they're, they're, they're abusing independent artists? Like, I'm not one of these big dudes. I'm not, you know, I'm not Metallica. I'm mm. not one of these guys that, you know, makes $2 million in merchandise. You know, we're making a couple of Gs so we can feed a big group of people. So mm-hmm. we can get money to go home to our families so I can afford to pay bonuses to my guys that cut their teeth on the road, you know? It's almost like the difference in between what they pay soldiers and what they pay the fat cats who never fight but advocate for war. Yes, sir. That's unfortunate. That almost sounds like a 360 deal with a, a record label, but it's the venue doing it with the with the 20% increase. That's unheard of. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's literally them embezzling money, and then when they turn around, they'll claim that they provided some service for you. But no, they often uh, misplace the money that they've taken. They charge you taxes on top of the 30%, so they end up taking 37%. So it's close to 40% that they're trying to take from you. And let me tell you something. Do you think they report that income? Oh, no. Oh, here we go. Why would they? I'm glad I'm talking to somebody that's awake, because this is what I mean. They don't report that. They, They claim they do, but in several instances that I've seen, they don't. And if I can make their lives any harder for doing that, then I will. Exactly. If I, can, uh, if I can charge and maybe, you know, take the first few arrows for the artists that come behind me to say that this is unfair as well and that it shouldn't be happening, then, you know, that's what has to happen. You know, especially the independent guys, especially the little guys. There should be no reason any venue should be touching their stuff. Like, how about this, sir? I could understand if you gave us a table and you, the person that was selling our merch... You might be entitled to 5 10%. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see anybody banging people for 30%, which is why, I'm going to be honest, I've had very, very troubling experiences in large places like that. Uh, the biggest of which was in Rock the Bells, Colorado. <laughs> Ironically, we were in Denver at a different venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told the entire crowd, listen, fuck these people. Uh, I, they, they're telling me that they're going to charge me 30%. So I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to give away my merch for free. And I, I have footage of this. I have an ocean of people. You know what I mean? This didn't happen in the modern era. This happened back in the day, 2008, 2009. I parted the seas like Moses with my hand. And I walked through the crowd of people throwing CDs and shirts into the crowd. We gave away 100 CDs and 100 shirts. And me and my men had the entire venue furious. Because they didn't expect that. They didn't expect that I would get so much love and support. And then they had people 
coming up to them, cursing at them at the booth, saying, "Why are you stealing money from us?" <laughs> and it was a lot of bad. It was a lot of bad PR for them for about a week, and then they, you know, they smoothed it over by offering drink specials. For oh yeah, the the bullshit. Here's here's show. Oh by the way, that those are much more violent. Than mm-hmm. show. You know what I mean? I always tell people that's the problem with hip hop. We get a bad rap, but there's more violence than other shows that aren't hip hop than us. We're uh, just the ones that get put on the front page. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm normally a metalhead, but I'm definitely a hip-hop head, too. And, like, metalheads also get a bad rap. Same with punk shows. Like, they all get... It's it's so violent, blah, blah, blah. It, it's really not. Like, I can I, I can go to any of those shows. There's a guy with a boot knife. Uh-huh. Someone's getting stabbed or run over by a fucking motorcycle. You know what I mean? A lot of my friends used to work security for a lot of those, like... I'm not going to call them honky-tonk, but that's that's the term. It's like those oh, yeah. country, festivals, whatever. And he said there was always a fight, there was always a stabbing, somebody always got cut, there was a shooting in the parking lot, but, you know, there's no headline. Like, it's oh, never spoken about. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, there's an aspect to the racial bias, but there's also an aspect to the money. You know what I mean? Like, they're comfortable in that sphere, and they don't want anyone coming to disturb that check. Mm-hmm. They don't mind people disturbing our check, because they've already disturbed it by trying to embezzle 30 it's funny that you brought up 2008. I actually uh, wrote down a quick question about that. In 2008, you did release The Third World, and then with that, similar to what you did in Denver, you gave away the proceeds to a charity to help Afghanistan build a, an orphanage. Sorry, sorry. And we, we, uh, we actually, we actually uh, didn't just give the money away to a charity. I think that was the... The details of it are a little more complex, and I think they're the ones that make everything happen. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that we gave away money. See, you went and built it, didn't you? I thought the problem was that people were just giving away money. Um, I got personally involved, and I said, uh, I'll partner with an organization, so I'll become the main fundraiser, and I'll help you guys raise money, but I want to be personally involved from the ground up in planning, in construction, and they said, well, that means you have to actually go to Afghanistan. And I said, I'm willing to go. And they said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I'm willing to go to Afghanistan. So in 2009, my friend uh, Carrie, a uh, filmmaker, who, you know, he's worked on a dozen movies, like, you know, I Am Legend, some, some popular stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dusk Till Dawn, you know, from, from you know way back in the day to now to maybe a couple of movies recently. But in a different capacity. You know, working uh, first as a PA and then working on cinematography, but then building he, himself up. He was kind like, of. You know, I, I want to shoot a, I want to shoot a documentary, so he came with it. He was brave enough to come to Afghanistan, right? Well, maybe crazy enough. And we went out there, and I was involved um, in building the place up from the ground up. We bought, we bought a hollowed out house. Um, we had to clean out everything. Everything had to be uh, renovated. Oh, there was there was no kitchen equipment. You know, we had to purchase. Uh, an entire kitchen. We had to purchase uh, bathrooms, you know, toilets. Everything had to be set up. Plumbing had to be done. And electricity had to be wired into the place. Beds had to be built. You know, it was an entire process. And at the end of the day, you know, 20 kids um, who didn't have a home before had one now. That is phenomenal. What what inspired you to, to do that venture? Was it uh, us raping their country? For <laughs> illogical purposes. Well, I will tell you this: 
my visit definitely give, did give them a different impression of Americans. Um, they were totally blown away. But since a lot of them came from a religious background, and you know, I'm not saying that I have it. I was raised as a Christian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I much like the punk rock stuff that you mentioned. Some of the the, the imagery that I have doesn't come from being devilish. It comes from acknowledging that society is devilish. Very true. They looked you up. basically.
lot of young kids there, and I wonder, is the pain any different? It can't be, right? The pain of a U.S. mother that gets a phone call that says, you know, your son's not coming home from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. That pain any different than the phone call somebody had to get from Moscow to some small Russian town to tell people, hey man, we can't explain why the fuck we're uh, 10,000, 15,000 miles away trying to protect the internal security of this country. Um, and your son died there. Is, her, is, is that mother's pain any less and any different? And the result that I got was no. Is the mother's pain any different you know, her son got blown up trying to fight people who just showed up into his country and said, hey, guess what? We're staying. You know, and, and that's a very difficult place to be. I met a lot of people who were, honestly, very, very much a part, a part of the, the, the historical crisis that had occurred. Mm-hmm. You know, they fought the Russians during the jihad, and they told me that, you know, it, it wasn't about just, you know, religious fanaticism. You know, it wasn't that they were, and these people that I met that worked at the university, like, if I could be totally honest, the professor that I met, and I'm not trying to be offensive, because this man was more of a warrior than me, but he was dressed like very metro, you know, his nails were done, his edges were perfect, you know what I mean? Right, right. Like I, I knew the numbers were high, but I, di- I didn't realize that it was it was that high of a of a loss. Well, I mean, we're talking about a young group of people that are just being born. A million of them die. You know, another mm-hmm. two, three million maimed. Uh, but of course, these statistics are manipulated by the Russians, so they'll tell you that it was eight hundred or nine hundred thousand instead of a couple million. Uh, but at the same time, the United States did the same thing. And that's yes, really sir.
that was They're being protected by it's not U.S. troops many times mercenaries that work for the United States. I mean, I know Americans don't like the word mercenary; they prefer the word contractor, and that's where the other song fits into. It's definitely just contract killers. <laughs> Throwback for last night, at least. I have to say, though, it was... it Like, I've had friends that were in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they all said the same exact thing, that they weren't there doing anything but protecting fields. And that's just coming over here. that Like, or, of course, globally, but a large scale coming over here. And it, it's just what what the fuck are we doing kind of aspect, you know? We're just raping other countries for no reason, and then we expect the the globe to, to respect us as a, a superpower, but we're not we're not doing anything to help people. Yeah, I, I think one thing that people need to understand about foreign aid and that whole concept of Americans giving millions of dollars to other countries, mm-hmm. um, they really don't show up there with millions in a Gucci bag to hand it all to the government after siphoning it out of working class healthcare. You know yep. what I mean? They're not snatching it from the mouths of white working class families and, and doing it that way. They're snatching it from the mouths of their infrastructure for their healthcare. Yep. And they're giving it to them in terms of corporate benefits. In other words, when, when I hear uh, right-wingers and when I hear low-info voters complain about socialism, I tell people, listen, we do have socialism. Socialism for corporations and harsh capitalism for the rest of us. When we give foreign aid to people, in other words, what we do is we draw a blank check or a check with a really high number and says, we'll give you this amount of service. But the difference is this. If I tell you, hey, man, don't worry about your roof. I'll fix it for free. And you say, well, what's the catch? I say, well, your roof costs about $20,000 to fix, but I'll fix it. But once the roof is fixed, I tell you, hey, cost me $40,000 to fix. And you say, well, I have no money. And I say, well, you know what? I like your flower garden. I would like to, the rights that, to everything that grows in your flower garden. <laughs> right. And little by little, I pick pieces of the country apart. And unfortunately, this is just modern-day colonialism. When it was done on, under Bush, that's what it was. And when it had a neoliberal tinge under Obama, it was the same thing. And that's the sad truth about where people see the right-left divide mean nothing on the surface of that sort of conflict. You know, it's still the same death that was being rained down on these people. Middle Passage has been being made for multiple, for a hot minute now. Dallas, Dallas. Yes, sir. We gotta make this the last question, okay? Okay, I will scrap that and I will close it with the question I ask everybody as the closing. What What has been a performance that you performed that is the most memorable concert that would make you a concert junkie? That made you a concert junkie? The most memorable performance that I've seen? Yes. Well, it's hard to say I'm a concert junkie because it's like, that's where I work. I don't really go to concerts. True. You know, imagine if if, if you worked at a bar and a girl was like, hey, I want to take you on a date. Where? The bar. You mean the bar where I work? I'm fucking David. Let me go right next door. So I just like, I don't necessarily do that, but if you're talking about shows that left a deep, severe impression on me, Mm -hmm. um, there was a concert in New York City in 1996 
Okay. 